want to say how thankful I am, give honor to God for saving my life from a place of, of, of grief and, and seeing just the depths and I, I grieve as I, I think about those things. I'm thankful that they are forgotten, Kevin, and uh, the Lord doesn't see that anymore. So I give praise to God. I thank him and I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to come and to speak to you tonight. Um, Brother Andy spoke with me. I bet it's been nine months ago. And he, he spoke to me coming down from the choir. And he said, the Lord uh, spoke to me and wants you to have the opportunity to speak. And I told him that I wouldn't do that unless, you know, I felt like the Lord had given me something to say. I don't take it lightly to get up here. I really have, uh, you know, um, try not to do that. But I, I felt like the Lord uh, prompted me to speak, and I'm quite simply going to speak on this question tonight, and the question is why, and that, that'll be the title of this message, and our call to worship, as you heard earlier, was from Hebrews chapter 4, talking about the Word, how the Word is quick, it's alive, and it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and, uh, and so with that, um, we'll, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, I'd like to ask Brother Ricky Woods if he wouldn't mind praying for us tonight. We'll start by, by asking this question. You know, what gives a religion the right to say that it is the one? Uh, or a religion to say that their God is God and there is no other? Um, what gives us the right as Christians? I mean, we, we look in the Word and we, of course... Uh, there's all kinds of goodness that can be gleaned from the Word of God all the way through it, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I was sharing with some of the men the other day, and I apologize to them for some of these things that I've said. But when you know when that's where you've been in the Word, that's what you're going to talk about. But you know, as Boaz told Ruth, "Don't go anywhere. Glean from this field. Stay right here." You know, we can. Take that as the Lord speaking to us and telling us to stay here, glean from, from this field, from his field. Um, Ecclesiastes and Solomon speaking about the vanity uh, of life. And uh, uh, the book of Psalms uh, telling us about the, the benefits of not walking, uh, standing, or sitting in the council of the wicked. Uh, uh, Proverbs as wisdom is crying out begging for people to listen, pay attention to what I have to tell you. Uh, it'll be for your good, you know, and then there's that warning if you won't listen, uh, the, the penalty that comes uh, from that. We go on through uh, the Word of God, you know, in Matthew uh, chapter 1, we see the genealogy proving the, the, the lineage of Christ back to uh, King David, and then in Revelation, we see a picture of the resurrected Christ and uh, the revelation that God gives to us 
James, boy, five chapters full of just, just good words for us. But, but, but still, how do we know that we're not being deceived? How do we know? How, why do we have a right to say that our God is God? And, um, you know, this, this week, uh, what prompted me to, to go here and um, was, was an encounter I had uh, inside the prison with, with an officer, a good friendly relationship, and um, found out that he was an agnostic. And, and uh, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, I really don't know what an agnostic, you know, believes. So how, would you mind sharing that with me? And so he, he, uh, he went on to tell me that agnostics believe in a supreme being uh, you know, or God, but they don't put a name on the on that God. You know, they take the good from all different religions, and then they incorporate those into their life, and so they just try to live a good life according to those teachings. And um, and so he posed this question to me, uh, and this was his question, and he said, "Why, why do you Christians believe?" that your God is the one and only true God. In my spirit, even though he told me what he believed, with that question, I felt God wanting to break out of my spirit and love on him. So I wanted to be slow to speak and think about my words carefully, not coming across boastful or proud or like I have the right information and you don't. But as humbly and graciously as I could, I told him that, that I believe, which in fact, it's more than that. I really know that the Bible is different than any other book on the earth because it's alive. It's the only book that reads the reader. Hebrews 4.12, what we just read. And I told him, I said, in the number of prophecies that are contained in that book that were written over centuries by different authors and they were fulfilled within a 33-year period of time in one man, Jesus of Nazareth. And I said, that to me sets it apart from all of the other so-called man-made religions. Over 330 prophecies uh, in my study but I'm only going to cover a few. And what I've come to do tonight, I'm speaking to a crowd of believers tonight. I believe that. If you're in here tonight and you're not a believer, then this is a persuasive speech to you. But to you, others, it's not persuasive. You, We believe the same thing. So this is to hopefully build your faith, encourage you, and be a gift to you here at Christmas time as we look at the overwhelming evidence of 
the answer to that question why. Genesis, written by Moses, uh, a man whose birth should have never taken place. He was to be aborted. But God's hand was upon him. And 1,500 years before Christ, in chapter 3, verse 15, in Genesis, he says, I'm going to cause hostility, God speaking, between you and the woman. Moses is writing this. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And we know that Christ's heel was bruised crucifixion as those nails pierced his hands and his feet and also later on in verse 20 after Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living it says the Lord God made coats of skin to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve doesn't say it there but you know that was the first animal sacrifice blood had to be shed the innocent blood of an animal had to be shed for those coats to be made to cover that sin that nakedness. We go on to Exodus. Moses is still the author here. And we're going to the we're going to chapter 12 and we're talking there's the death angel is coming that night the Passover lamb is spoken of here in verse 13, and he says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you, and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of its flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. Fulfilled by Christ on the cross, our Passover lamb. Leviticus going on, Moses still the writer. We see that this is God's idea here, this, this thing about the blood. He says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. You move on. We, I'm not covering all of these, but I'm just going through some. Psalms, you see in chapter 2, uh, the writer there, this prophetic, uh, a thousand uh, to five hundred years before Christ, he said, "Why did the the heathen rage and the people plot a vain thing? The the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us.'" We see in Psalms chapter twenty-two. There's no way that the writer here could have known this. This was given to the writer by the Lord, and this is. Something that Christ said and fulfilled at the cross. In verse 1, he's, the, this starts the, the 22nd Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Verse 7, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up. My tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death. I can count all my bones. In verse 17, they look and stare at me. Verse 18, they divide my garments. 
among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, the Lord is speaking here of these are things that took place on the cross. Crucifixion hadn't even been um, uh, thought of or invented up, up to this point. And this psalm speaks of the hands and the feet being pierced. Ver chapter 34, not, none of his bones are broken. Ver that's in verse 20. Verse 35 and 11, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. 38 and 12, those also who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long, but I'm like a deaf man who doesn't hear and like a mute who doesn't open his mouth. Chapter 41 and verse 9, speaking of the betrayal of Judas, he says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In, in chapter 69 and verse 20, Referring to his time there in the garden, he says, Reproach has broken my heart. And I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. And you remember, he went to the disciples and said, couldn't you just come and pray with me, pray for me? Chapter 72 and verse 10, I believe, refers to the wise men, the visit, prophetically, before it took place. It says, the kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Chapter 89, verse 27, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Chapter 129, verse 3, the plowers plowed my back. They made their furrows long. Chapter 132 and 11, the Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. And this is the promise. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. Chapter 147 and 3, he heals the brokenhearted. And binds up their wounds. And that's been fulfilled by people that are sitting inside the sanctuary tonight. Isaiah, 730 years before Christ came on the scene in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And you know that is God with us. Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us the Son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And then speaking of John the Baptist, the forerunner in chapter 40, he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Chapter 46 and, and verse 9, he says this, he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning 
and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Chapter 50 speaks of the stripes and being spat upon. Chapter 53 in Isaiah uh, speaks of the unbelief of his own people. Who will believe our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He will grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was just a normal-looking man, despised and rejected by men, verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And, and we go on through Isaiah and the rest of that, that chapter there, and we see the suffering of Christ. We, in Jeremiah, uh, in 550, uh, 550 years before Christ, he let us know that the Messiah was going to be God and man. In chapter 23, verse 5, he said, The days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and pros- prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. So he's talking about a man there. But listen to this. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he shall be called, the Lord, our righteousness. So he's referring to the God-man there. Daniel 7 saw him coming with the clouds of heaven in verse 13. Hosea, uh, 750 years before Christ, uh, Chapter 11, verse 1 says, When I, uh, Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And when they went into Egypt during the massacre of the children, there after the wise men had left, they were angry, and so they went around and killed the children who were two years old and under. And, and then he called him back out of Egypt. Micah, 700 years, said, But Bethlehem. Though you are least among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. 520 B.C. Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt. The foal of a donkey. He even says lowly there. He's, he's referring to the meekness uh, of Christ. In chapter 11, uh, verse 12, he talks the thir- about the 30 pieces of silver uh, there. He said, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. We know that that's exactly what Judas did when he said, you know, I have uh, sinned, Uh, I've betrayed innocent blood. Some things are more valuable than gold. Chapter 12, verse 10 He said, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And then in Malachi chapter 3, 
and in chapter 4, we see the prophecy of the forerunner, John the Baptist. And you know, this, this message is very simple <laughs> and very singular in purpose. carry these so I make sure that I, I don't miss anything that the Lord gave me. But the purpose of this message is singular and that is to elevate that right there from stepping down because that right there is the treasure of this life. If we cut it, I wish we, we could cut every light out in here and shine a light on that book because I'm telling you that's exactly what happened when the Lord spoke to that man through those prophecies. No other religion, no other God, and even we as Christians can take confidence in knowing that that right there is the truth. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And that book right there proves itself. I got an article here. Her name you won't remember. But she talks about Christ fulfilling all these prophecies and how it's establishes his credentials as the Messiah and how each one of these pieces by itself is just like uh, the piece of a big jigsaw puzzle, one of those complicated puzzles. But when you put them all together, we, we see that it gives us a picture of Christ. Listen to this right here. She said, just these handful of prophecies that I'm going to mention right here about being born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, being betrayed by a friend who, who received 30 pieces of silver, was silent before his accusers, and died in the manner Romans used for criminals' crucifixion, during which they pierced his... I mean, um, that movie, The Nativity, I tell the men about this all the time. I recommend you, you, you watch it. The Nativity, man, it just goes by this. So it gives you a real good picture of, of the difficulty and the timing. You, you think about all that happened, that Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, the angel comes and uh, gives them the message, hey, you're going to conceive. And afterwards, you know, Six months into that pregnancy, the angel goes to Mary, gives her the message that, hey, you're going to bear the Son of God. He's going to save his people from their sin. She believes that message. And then you go back to Matthew and see that, you know, when, when she goes to see Mary and see that, or, or she goes to see Elizabeth and see this thing that has happened, nothing will be impossible with God. You know, she's barren. She's not supposed to have children. Mary wants to see this. She goes. But after John the Baptist is delivered and she comes back to Nazareth, 
Joseph sees her, that she's, she's pregnant. He's a just man. He's a good man. And wanting to put her away privately so that she's not stoned to death. And the Lord speaks to him those words and tells him not to fear, to take her to be his wife. You know, and tells him, you know, that your son, uh, her son's going to be the son of God. And, and we see Joseph's obedience. We, you know, God had some work to do. You know, the prophecy said that Jesus or the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Here they are in Nazareth, as Brother Rick pointed out this morning. Seventy miles straight as the crow flies from Bethlehem. And they have to make the journey. And by the Jewish route, it was probably more like a hundred miles. You think about that. Men, think about saddling up your wife, pregnant wife, on a donkey. And you've got these, these leather sandals on, and you've got a hundred-mile trek to make to get back to Bethlehem. And they get there. I mean, the Lord orchestrates the census to get them, to get them there. And when they get there to Bethlehem, at the time they arrive, she's ready. She's ready to give birth. There's no room. But they go there into the stable where all those sacrifices are born. And that, that one sacrifice for all mankind is born there at precisely the right moment. But he comes to the poorest of circumstances, and the announcement from the angels is to those who were the poorest of men. And the gospel comes to the poor. So when you hear the message, don't doubt it. We can have confidence because of the truth of God's word. All of the prophecies, and like I said, we just talked about a handful of those tonight. There's over 300 prophecies, and, and many of those are yet to be fulfilled during the reign of Christ. But what a gift, what a treasure we have this Christmas. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like shopping. I mean, Carl and I, we, we don't like it at all. I mean, we, we have to do our once-a-year trip to the mall thing and, um, you know, hate the traffic and the crowds. And, you know, I, and when I get there and I see how folks are, the spirit of the whole thing, it just it grieves me because it just takes away from the, what is truly the treasure of this season, the gift of this season, which is Christ. So why does it take faith as a grain of a mustard seed? It's because we've been given so much evidence that this is the truth, that the God that we serve is the God. He's the one and only true God. And this is an important message from the Lord because I'm going to tell you, we that are sitting here tonight, we know the truth. We know the truth of God's word. But there is so much ignorance out there in the world just to the simplicity of, of the gospel, of the things that we talked about. Because people are not seeking after God. They're not seeking after his word to find out the truth. Even in our own families, friends, you know, and even our enemies, there's spiritual blindness, and we need to pray for them. And tonight, you know, I believe the Lord dealt with me on even the conclusion of our time together 
And before, before I do that, we're, and we're going to have a time of prayer, but before we do that, I want to give opportunity, especially since I didn't take a lot of time to, to give you this message. I wanted to get to it and, and be done when, when it was time for me to conclude. But Christmas is coming up. Does anybody have a testimony or have anything they want to add to this of how precious and how thankful you are for the treasure, which is the Lord, which is his word. I'd just like to give anybody that opportunity now.